The 42 membership is a community of passionate sports fans who are directly supporting our journalists and journalism through their membership. In return, our commitment is to provide them with the best analysis, insight and debate, as well as a vibrant community of like-minded fans who, as you know, help to steer our coverage on Rugby Weekly. Which is why, in a few weeks' time, we will be launching a new and improved rugby offering for our members. At the heart of this will be a brand new Rugby Weekly Extra podcast every Monday, where I, Gavin Casey, will be joined by your favourites, Murray Kinsella and Bernard Jackman, who will bring you the first and definitive word on the weekend's rugby action. That members-only pod will be the only place where you will be able to hear Murray, Bernard and me together, and we're looking forward to building it further with our members to give you, and ourselves to be honest, the most enjoyable rugby pod possible. But what about the great Owen Toolan, I hear you members ask. Fear not, the 42 members will now get a second exclusive podcast every week with Owen and Murray moving to a later slot in the week where they will break down the game tape with some of their trademark deep dive analysis. And I'm actually not joking either when I say they are planning to go deep. And on games, topics and trends from around the world that may tickle your fancy rather than simply the provincial or international rugby that has happened over the previous weekend. All of this means that our regular free-to-air routine is also changing. From a few weeks' time, we will no longer be producing a podcast on a Thursday. In its place, there will be a shorter, specified preview pod every Friday, as Murray and I look ahead to the weekend's games. That quick-hit Friday show will be free for members and non-members alike. To all of you listening who already support our work through membership, we can't thank you enough. To those of you who have tuned into the pod every Thursday for the last couple of years... We've absolutely loved your questions, your musings, and your support. The reality is that this new membership-focused schedule is as important for us as it is exciting, because not only will it ensure the pod remains viable on top of our day jobs into the future, but it will allow us to control that future without having to accept sponsored ad reads to which we, or more importantly you, our listeners, might personally object. Murray and I will chat to you about all of this on next week's free pod, but in the meantime, for those of you who aren't yet members but might be inclined to support us on this move, we would love for you to have the chance to try out the 42 membership for a year so that you can see for yourself why we believe so strongly in it. And with that in mind, for the next week, we have a special offer, which is available only to listeners of this pod, and we'd like to offer you 50% off if you sign up for an annual membership. That works out at just €21 Euro for a full year, or just over €0.40 cent per week. And it will give you access to the brand new Monday podcast with Murray, Birch and myself, as well as all of the other brilliant membership benefits on offer. Go to members.the42.e and use the code THE42ORW, all one word, all uppercase, to avail of that offer. That's THE42ORW. Now, here's your regularly scheduled Rugby Weekly. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is coming out! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here with you as always and joining us to look back upon the weekend that was and look ahead to another one is Murray Kinsler of the 42 and Bernard Jackman. Murray, how are you? Good, Gav. How are you? 
yeah flying it thanks looking forward to the chat birch how are you yeah excellent thanks thanks for doing this so early in the morning <laughs> not a problem <laughs> any excuse uh birch you, you've had a few days now to sort of i don't know ruminate over paris and i know you've even done a little bit of analysis during the week with your various uh roles um what was your kind of overriding emotion in retrospect, like when, when you kind of, I suppose, when you can remove the emotion from uh, the game itself and look at it a little bit more objectively or coldly. Yeah, so I'm very conscious of not being a fan with a typewriter. And, and um, I think that I have to give Ireland massive credit for staying in the game and the character they showed and the fitness levels, etc. But I think in fairness, France did what we feared they would do. And I think France are in a, in a really good place. Um, they're not perfect. But I think that even the fact that Galtier used his bench so early and they wobbled a bit, but came out the other side of and got the win, you know, long term for them, that's a much better win than us maybe win that match, having kept the majority of our frontliners on the on the field for so long, if you get me. So I think they managed to get a, a big win with loads of imperfections. Um and have a load more growth in them. Um, even players outside the, the match 23 that can come back in, the likes of Akatara, Teddy Thomas, Jalibert, um, you know, there's a multitude. Uh, Olivion, the captain, is back training now in his club. I mean, he's a, he's a quality player. Um, so they've got real depth. They've got confidence, self-belief. Um, they've still got loads of areas to work on, but I think um, I think France are in a really good place. Ireland are in a, really, in a good place. Um, and I love the way the team are, uh, are, are implementing a, an attacking strategy that, that will pay off. Um, the question mark I have a little bit is around, when it comes to the crunch, when we come up against a team who can shut us down, have we got game breakers? Um, and then secondly, have we got enough depth you know, I think our one to fifteen is brilliant. You know, we we wax lyrical about our front row going into this game. I think our, our front row with Kelleher, Porter, and, and Furlong could be amongst the best in the world. Um, but if one of them gets injured uh, early in a game, uh, even though Dan Sheen did brilliantly, I think from a scrummaging point of view, um, it, 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 he's obviously got to grow there in, in that position, and, that, and that's that's normal. Um, he's not he's he's a very explosive player. He's very quick. He's got good footwork. But he's not as dense, uh, or he doesn't have that mass that a uh, Movaka or a or a Marshan has, um, and that's that's massively important uh, in international scrummaging. Plus, obviously, we are scrummaging with two lightweight second rows. When you compare them to the top, and I remember some, you know, some fellow accused me of taking drugs, saying Tyburn uh, wasn't an international second row. But maybe he understands a bit more about that now when you see, like, I'm not questioning Ty Burns' ability around the field. I think he's absolutely brilliant. But there's a couple of scrums there with an overhead look. And you can see the the difference having, um, you know, two big men in, in, the, in the second row can, can make to a scrum. And, and to be honest, I think in some ways we got away with it because... The scrum wasn't a factor in that game. There was only eight scrums, five for France, three for Ireland. I don't think Ireland are ever going to be under pressure on their own ball um, anymore. Um, it's the opposition ball that is where you would worry a little bit. Um, and France, let's remember as well, France didn't get a scrum five yards out um, where they really could have went for the juggler and the next thing you see, two or three penalties, you see a yellow card, you see a penalty try. And then everyone's panicking about our scrum. I just think... You know, because it wasn't an influence on the on the winning or losing of the game, people have moved on. But I think Andy Farrell, John Fogarty, etc., will be looking at it going, 
Right. That's an area that we need to look at because in a World Cup semi-final, quarter-final, um, in a Six Nations game, if England are back on, on at their best, that could be an area that we get exposed in. So they're the little worries I have. But having said that, I am absolutely proud of Ireland. There's no doubt. But um, I, I just think we also need to flag that realistically, I think France would be wondering how that game got so close. Um, and they probably have the tools to get further away from us if we're not careful. Murray, later on, we're going to chat about the future of the Six Nations and how it might shape up from 2025 onwards. There was a report in the UK Daily Mail by Chris Foy about the potential of South Africa joining and Italy departing. And we're going to look ahead as well to the URC. But there's just so much from this game in Paris. I wanted to fly straight into it. And I wonder, when you're over there reporting on it, like you have to remove all emotion from it really while you're doing that uh, on the whistle, right? But it's almost like in reverse. When you rewatch the game, are you a little bit more disappointed in aspects of Ireland's game and maybe even a little bit more pleased than you had been when you were in the stadium? I think a lot of it held true and that, like, that's the benefit of being their person is just seeing how bafflingly large Roman Tau Fifanu is when he comes off the bench. Like it's actually ludicrous how big he is in person and I'd watched him obviously on TV so many times and even in person before, but you forget just how big a lock they can bring on. And one of his first, and his major involvement was just to absolutely lift Josh van der Fleer out of that ruck when Ireland are trying to exit off a, off a line out in their 22. Ball gets bobbled off an Irish foot and two phases later, Cyril Boy absolutely smashes over the line following a carry from Weenie Antonio. So you definitely appreciate those moments more in per- person than you would watching on TV. Um, the physicality of their counter ruck and the sheer athleticism of the the French players across the board was was really startling, I suppose, in person. Yeah, absolutely. You watch it back and you see all these little moments that Aaron could have done better. Their kicking wasn't strong, was it? The, you know, even the contestable tactics, which made sense to be fair, given that power and um, France's quality around the breakdown. But Ireland didn't do it well. They didn't exit kick well, and and the first try comes from that and some of the kicks were too long some of them were too short it just wasn't quite on the money so even parts of their strategy to get around some of the French strengths just didn't work out and weren't well executed so they left bits out there but I do think Ireland were playing and I agree with Birch on this Ireland were playing closer to their capacity maximum capacity than France were they'll probably look back on it with more regrets in a way um, and think they'd probably left more scores out there so yeah absolutely they're Things Ireland did really well, and I absolutely agree with the, I suppose, character that Farrell flagged after the game. That's a positive. I think Ireland a year ago wouldn't have got back to that point, but they've developed that mental resilience, and that's fantastic. But up against a team who looks like they're going to be the best in the world, it showed there's a great gap to close up, particularly around that squad depth. If they are going to be the best team in the world, Birch, and a lot of people feel as though they will for a home World Cup... uh, would it be fair to say that the gap has still narrowed between the two teams, allowing for the fact that there is still a gulf in various areas? But if you actually look at the last three games, Paris in 2020, Ireland didn't really ever look like they could win that game. Maybe you could make the same case this time around as well. But even Dublin last year kind of felt as though they either didn't fire a shot or couldn't fire a shot. This time they fired a few shots, you know, and they were in with the shout at the end. I wonder are if they're both teams that are moving in the right trajectory, but maybe that Ireland are in a slightly more upward curve than France might be. 
Um, I look at I think both both are in a, in a really positive trajectory, but uh, I don't. I think France now are getting used to winning big games against Irish teams, and uh, and that's that's now also from Toulouse's point of view, being European champions. Like for a while there, the mood, the the feeling in France was, how can we compete with these Irish provinces who, who don't have to to play in a league where you know winning is important because they're so far superior whereas we have to play top 14 you know um there's relegation there's not there's qualification for Europe which isn't a given so um that's uh, they've now overcome that with Toulouse being European champions um the French team the milestones for them were New Zealand that was absolutely massive for them in terms of confirming they're on the right track like you don't understand how big the, the All Blacks are in France. I mean, they absolutely worship um, the All Blacks. And and, um, and then, obviously, they really rate Ireland. And they, they hyped up this game as being a key game. Ireland were so good against Wales. And I think just that confidence and, and, and confirmation of what they're doing that they're going to get from that win potentially would push them on further. Now, look, they could go and lose in Scotland. Like, they're not... They're far from perfect. Um but I just think when you look at the as as um, Murray said, the athleticism. Um, in fairness, they're playing for each other. They're playing for the jersey now, so they're united, which wasn't the case for about ten years. They used to hate going into camp. Um, uh, they've got a lot of good young players who have no hang-ups around winning things. They've won under twenty World Cups, etc. So I, yeah, I, I do agree. Ireland are in a good place, but. I, I, we have to be realist and go right. But what happens if we lose Tyke Furlong? What happens if, um, you know, if if at twenty minutes to go, we're behind? What can we bring onto the field to to change the game? Um, if a game is in in deadlock, how many of our players can do something magical to unlock uh, a defence? And and again, I, I like I don't. I think France have the have a better set of cards in their hand than we do in that aspect. And I think that's something that that the Irish manager are going to have to look at because um, at the moment it looks like we're, we're going with this group to the World Cup and, and, and I can understand that but the World Cup's 18 months away or, or le- yeah less now but still it's another season and a half um, away effectively and uh, like what kind of shape are our older players going to be um, at that stage and can they be and it looks like they're going to be impact they're going to be bench rather than starters um, can they come on and and Take a game by the scruff of the neck and you know uh, regain a lead, uh, etc. I'm not I'm not 100 sure that they will be able to. And then that's another World Cup that we've we've lost, but it, some of it will be lost because of our own inability to kind of problem solve or 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 try and find more depth. If you get me. Well, speaking of being realists, Murray, here's a question from Kieran Pearson from the 42 members WhatsApp group. He comically describes it as just a quick question. Uh, it is about 8,000 words long, but it's brilliant. I think the three of us agreed when we saw it originally. So here goes. He says, I know this will probably be an unpopular opinion, but I don't think it's unfair to ask. Is there a sense that the people and the pundits are just waxing lyrical about Joey Carberry at the moment, given that he had a more or less okay game at the weekend? But he didn't exactly light the world on fire and he hasn't really convinced anybody that he is the next big thing in the number 10 shirt right now. While we all agree he's probably far and away the nearest possible successor to Sexton, I don't think he is 100% still the player. We have to hang our hat on 
uh, when it comes to the sorry I don't think he's still the player that we have to have our, hang our hat on when it comes to the number 10 position going forward I think one okay game doesn't really absolve a player when there are still so many questions around whether he is up to the task yet now all of this being said of course you need to get more game time into him and give him an opportunity but where we are now if Sexton were to retire tomorrow uh, like would we really be confident that Carberry is the nailed on number 10 that we can all be confident in without a shadow of a doubt where do you stand on that no we wouldn't be confident but i don't think you would have expected the game got confidence from just one game um and like joey carberry isn't johnny sexton that's not a news flash is it johnny sexton is a world player of the year in 2018 he's got over 100 caps he's been on several lions tours he's one of ireland's greatest ever rugby players and i think one of the best players to have played the game and I don't know if people expected Joey Carberry to be that straight away, but that certainly is not going to be the case. So I guess what, what are you comparing against? It's his first Six Nations start. Also, the game, I think, is an incredibly tough one. The, the French are obviously so much stronger than a lot of the other opposition that other Irish outhouse have had an opportunity against. He's had to wait a long time for his start. And absolutely not. I just mentioned some of the kicking there. It wasn't a perfect performance there, but I think some credit is due for... Uh, a good performance on a really tough occasion with not a huge amount of notice that you're going to be guiding and leading the team I thought he tackled well which was a uh, concern I suppose coming into the game he had a couple of nice touches on the ball and in the first half it was I think most outhouse would have struggled to really get um, the team moving forward because that wasn't happening with quick ball at the breakdown there wasn't nice ball to play off the set piece obviously didn't deliver that in any way from the line out so it's really hard to get a backline moving, um, simply because the ball is so shy coming off that that line out. So yeah, I think there are those factors to consider. No, we haven't answered a longer term question about Irish rugby, but I don't think that was ever going to be the case on one game. That's why I'd love to see, personally, Joey Carby start another game against Italy, get another test under his belt, get a bit of rhythm in test rugby. And I suppose we'll learn with each of those steps. Your thoughts, Bernard? Yeah, I think that the reason pundits are so happy or positive about Joey's performance is exactly as Murray said. It's his first Six Nations start. It's away to France. He got a very poor set-piece delivery. Plus, our our, four, our ball carriers are being knocked back on the gain line. The ball was slow. And I think the reason that we are really positive is we've been hoping that there is somebody who can show signs they can step up. Uh, his goal-kicking was very good. His defence was, was decent and he didn't go missing. In actual fact, when there was an opportunity to play, he orchestrated that we got to a little, little bit wider and avoided those that heavy heavy collision. So I thought he did um, more than more than okay. Um, yeah, and, and it's going to take a while for him. To, he's never going to place Johnny. He's always going to be very different. Um, but I think we can rest a little bit easier now that we have a, a, a backup that can can deal with high pressure uh, situations so yeah i think it's, uh, it was a positive uh, a positive uh, outing for him without knocking the, the house down <laughs> John, johnny sexton's don't grow on trees he's a special player and when he's gone he's going to be appreciated more than ever uh, you're not going to find it out half exactly like him to replace him the challenge in the shorter term is closing up that gap because it's still big Gav. we re-recorded our pod last week after the sexton news and from thinking Ireland actually might pull this off to France being firm favourites within the space of an hour. Well, I think that's exactly why people did 
wax lyrical about Carberry if that's the right term for the kind of feedback his performance got. I think it was an expectation versus reality thing. And the reality for a lot of people was better than they expected without Sexton. I actually don't even think anybody went into the game thinking, oh, Ireland are going to lose because Joey Carberry is playing. I think they thought we're going to lose because Johnny Sexton isn't playing. You know what I mean? Like, I think there is a bit of a distinction there. And the fact that Ireland held their own and Carberry held his own without necessarily being spectacular, as Bernard says, kind of put minds at ease a little bit looking into the future. But as you say, Murray, yourself, there is room now for Carberry to build on that and maybe put our minds even more at ease uh, heading into a World Cup. I want to continue with a couple of questions from Rob O'Mahony. He sent this while doing the night feed. So listen, if any, if ever a question was going to be read out in a pod, fair play to you, Rob, and, and thanks a million for tuning in. He <laughs> says, I have two questions. If it's not too late, there you go. It was uh, about half one in the morning. Uh, no bother if you don't get around to it. Uh, how do you view the scrum half position going forward, Murray, into the World Cup? Gibson Park's tempo is a key part of Ireland's attack, but at times he struggles with his kicking and pass accuracy. And at this level, it's all about fine details. Do you think he will be Farrell's first choice for the World Cup or does the answer lie with other options at nine? Yeah, I think he probably will be first choice moving forward. It's his first kind of poor game for Ireland, I suppose, really, since he got into that slot. His pass actually was poor. His couple of kicks, as we mentioned earlier on, just didn't get distance on them. There was another one in the second half where I think Hansen knocks it on. It just hangs short. And it was a new experience for him. He was one of the guys who just hadn't been in that kind of situation in Test Rugby. He's been playing a lot of his international rugby, or nearly all of it, often behind closed doors without that kind of emotion around it, without that incredible French crowd roaring from the sidelines and without that kind of pressure on his breakdown ball, most importantly, like it was a scrap there. Some of them maybe it wasn't actually even a dirty ball from the the ruck and they're just poor passes but it was a totally different uh, step up in intensity for him in terms of the actual um, defensive pressure on on Ireland so I would hope that that would be a good experience for him that he got a taste of what that is and bounces back and uh, becomes a better player for that but yeah, it was a, a first tough outing for him. I think Farrell won't just judge him on that one game. I think he'll view it as a, a kind of positive longer term that it, it helps with his development. Birch, I think he's been patchy enough over the two games and yet remains absolutely integral to the way Ireland play. Like there's a reason he's there. And also without him in Paris, I'm not sure Ireland actually do claw themselves back into the game, regardless of um, how relatively poorly or, or relative to his own standards poorly that he played like if we are to look at other options who are there at the moment uh, like are we too close to a world cup to even be exploring the possibility no i don't i don't think we are um i think that we do need to i think that he is absolutely key to our game because of how we want to play with big speed and i think if you're going to allow him get in there and, and, and fire the ball away you are going to have the odd erratic pass you know um, and and you would for the Pontros the odd erratic pass as well but obviously he has a lot of different um, strengths so I just think that we need to we need to double down on, on playing fast and um, you know I'd love to see Craig Casey get a a start somewhere um, to see what he can do I think Craig looks like he's got loads of potential but unfortunately um, his game time is blocked 
you know, a chance to get a consistent run of games is blocked at provincial level and international level. I think Doak, to be honest, looks like he has that big game temperament um, and has the ability to um, step up so far and, and looks very composed, has big moments. So he's somebody um, that potentially they might look at. I just think this summer tour is going to be really interesting. Uh, going to New Zealand for three tests um, and whether Farrell thinks right we look we're going to have a good six nations um you know we obviously had a good november is that the opportunity to try and find three or four players that can be part of that world cup squad and have different attributes um but yes have shown that they can play against the all blacks away from home have the temperament that are going to be part of your world cup squad um and it's a big call to make to maybe leave some guys at home or, or not give guys three tests but I think that that's kind of your last chance, really, to um, to test guys that um, that maybe are a little bit out of the circle at the moment, but could in eighteen months' time be good enough to to play a role. Just um, briefly on Gibbs Park before we move on, like he took his try really well, and that's such a strength of his game, that ability to scan coming towards the breakdown, throws a lovely dummy and beats Willemson has the pace to finish. His pace is another huge advantage. He's incredibly quick. And again, there was another bit of cover where Doris can't take his pass down the France 22. And you see him covering back the pitch and he's as quick as a wing. That's a, a nice strength to have. And we saw it as massively important in that All Blacks match where he covered back down the, the right-hand side at one stage against Severis. So he's got those strengths to his game and you'd love to see them really keep them prominent in their game plan. If you think of the Wales match... I think he had one, maybe two carries in that game. Didn't really snipe. And because Ireland are so focused on their face play shapes, maybe he's just too focused on okay, so servicing that and, and being a passing nine. So it would be fantastic to see him continue to offer that that sniping threat for Ireland. Lads, apologies. We've got a, a kind of a portable or a, an automatic hoover and it's just come on. <laughs> Give me two seconds there. <laughs> uh, that's journalistic heaven. You're, you're, you're so well paid, you don't even have to hoover. Yeah, listen, Birch, thanks a million for the Christmas present again. I really appreciate it. Two seconds. <laughs> right, that's that sorted. Second part of Rob's question. Uh, I'll start with yourself here, Birch. He says, are Henderson and Byrne Ireland's best pairing in the second row? He reckons Ryan is an excellent player, but almost looks like he has plateaued and seems stuck trying to be the player he was and the player Ireland and Leinster want him to be. Uh, meanwhile, Henderson brings that extra physicality to the second row. Uh, is Byrne Henderson Ireland's best combination at the moment? Um, it's going to be interesting. Look, the problem is we're not going to get tested again until potentially Twickenham. Um, we won't even the the set piece and that need for a physicality in the second row um, or strength in the second row at, at, at set piece time probably won't be an issue in the, in in, uh, in June against the All Blacks. It's probably only really South Africa, France, um, England that. It's going to become an issue, but you got to plan for that. So, I, I I was thinking maybe Henderson and Ryan in the second row, and and Ty Burn to six, and move move Doris to eight could be uh, a potential way of beefing up our um, our pack. Um, obviously that'd be very harsh on Jack Cohn, but I'm not saying for every single game. Um, but I just think when you come up against a team where you need to just bulk up a little bit, maybe that's one way of doing it. I think James Ryan is is, is obviously a very good player. Um. But obviously, when the pack overall are struggling to get go forward, 
you know he he finds it difficult. He's probably not the player who can generate that himself, um, and that's that's obviously an area of concern. But I wouldn't be, uh, uh, yeah. Obviously, uh, you look at. I'm not saying he's undroppable, um, but I, I was I was thinking Henderson in with James Ryan and Tyburn maybe the six when you come up against a, a pack like France where you need to try and get a bit of extra bulk. But having having said that, that's not the issue. The issue is outside of those current set of locks. We don't have anyone really with the profile that we need to come in and and go alongside Henderson and um and, and have two big second rows if you get me. So I know Leinster have a huge hope that Joe McCarthy Joe McCarthy um comes through as that tight head lock, uh, but he's obviously a long way off. Um, but if you look at the other provinces, we just haven't produced that that profile. And um, I think like so the Paul Williams one right so. Obviously, uh, we we signed him in Grenoble without any idea that he could ever go on and play for France. We were being very selfish um, about what we needed. But he came into France as a 19-slash-20-year-old. Um, but at that stage of his career, if you ask the smart people in South Africa, they said, look, if he stays around, he'll be a buck. Like, he will. He has that. That's how highly he was rated. And if you look at the project players that kind of... So John Klein, for example, I'm not knocking him. He's a very good operator, but... When he came to Ireland, he was a little bit older than than Willemse, but he probably wasn't going to be a bock if he stayed in South Africa. Um, and that's the that's the problem for us in terms of a little bit. So France have all this player pool talent. Um, you know they have the uh, the, Pol- the French Polynesian Islands uh, where Taufania has come from, Mofana, uh, Movaka, etc. Um, and yet they still, I would say, if you said to Fabien Galtier, who are your top five players that you you want to be fit to play South Africa next week, Antonio and Williamser are in that. You know what I mean. And so they've they're they've benefited incredibly well from their two project players. One is a hundred fifty kilo tight head who moves really well, and the other is a hundred and thirty eight kilo tight head lock who moves pretty well as well. So, um, but if you look outside, you know if you if you look a little bit deeper in France, there is. That profile, um, you know, there's five or six deep, not the same level, but there's five or six different tractors that they could pick um, as a tight head lock. Whereas in Irish rugby at the moment, we don't really have that profile, and that's that, that's obviously a concern. What about the idea, Murray, that James Ryan has plateaued? It seems to be an opinion that persists. Uh, they are out there. I'm wondering, are you one of them? Um, I thought he was good, very good last weekend against Wales. Thought he was pretty good in in france and that's the weird thing like when a team loses everything is negative but it's not necessarily the case like some people did actually play okay in paris um i thought i thought he went through a tough period particularly with the concussion obviously and you feared when he went off just before half time but it was brilliant to see him come back on and i feel he's back into a bit of rhythm with his game to be honest the issue i see around him is what exactly is the role that best suits him. You know what I mean? At the moment, he's been the tight headlock for for Ireland and for Leinster, which is traditionally a bulkier, heavier, naturally bigger man. Now, he's powerful. He's incredibly gritty. But he's, I suppose, been kind of typecast into that role. Um, And you've seen him pushing his passing skills, and that's still developing. I don't think it's as fluent as some of the other forwards in in the pack, but you almost think he'd almost be better suited with a bigger bulkier lock beside him 
and maybe Leinster signing Jason Jenkins indicates that that's how they feel about it as well. So, yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious as to see how that side of it develops. But I think he does a good job as a, the title lock for for Ireland Leinster. He's not as big as other guys, but yeah, I think he's playing good rugby. Birch, is there any need to get into the decision to go for the posts with a few minutes ago? We can cover it. I'll give you my opinion. I thought we should have went to the corner. Um, and I and despite the look at the, the Irish players and stuff they're going to publicly say yeah it was the right decision but uh, I think if they review that Monday morning um, which you would, they would have or whatever Thursday they're going to camp today Thursday um, you'd have to say look at they were there for the taking they were under pressure we gave them a minute to recover and from that kickoff I never felt we were going to win the game and I go back it goes back to Murray's point you need to have something to get you back into the game after you kick the point so I agree more. If we were on top in our kicking game, so if you if you remember the sequence of events after they kicked off, after we kicked the points, we lost that kick battle. We ended up kicking out for touch and they, and they had a line out on the halfway and then effectively from that we didn't really get another shot at. So if you kick the points, you need to know how you're going to go, be able to go back down there and get another score. And I, I genuinely felt the decision was should have kicked the corner. Even if we don't score off it, we're in there 22 and we're, our, our foot's on their throat. So for me, it was the wrong decision. Murray, the reason why I ask, should we even get into it, is I, I feel as though it's open and shut. What do you think? The more I think about it, the more I, I've come to realisation they were actually going for a draw, I think. I think they were hoping to get back within penalty range and kick a draw. Because, the, again, I watched it back repeatedly. I'm fascinated by this moment. I think it's class that 30 seconds on a pitch of can spark so many debate and so many different opinions, including being told that Ireland were thinking about the prize money out in the pitch, which I doubt was the case. Um, but anyway, I think they were going for the draw. <laughs> Kick the three points. You heard it from the sideline. Points, points, points. It's being screamed in at them while they're having their little debate. And Henderson kind of glances over at one stage towards someone who's presumably on the sideline. And then he turns in and, and looks quite assertive in telling them, let's go points. And, and Ryan goes for it. So it looks like it came from off the off the pitch to be honest and um, maybe there's an issue in in that i definitely think it should have gone into the corner because you, there's just no guarantee of getting back within range there's no guarantee at all except for this penalty that you can kick within five meters you've scored two tries off your line out i know they lost one in the 65th minute but just before the penalty they played off a line out through multiple phases and really stretched france and they won that line out like have some confidence in a big moment and and take that shot. Um, I yeah, I think they were going for a draw, really. Just losing losing the line out. I've heard that used as an excuse, but that actually gives you a better chance to win the next one because you understand where their threat is defensively, and they are going to jump. So I actually think, even though people go, "Oh, we lost the line out," that that knocked their confidence. You know, the really good line outs go right. That actually improves their chances because we know where the heat is. And we can go away from that. That's another bonus point out there as well. That's what I kind of can't believe that, yeah. you know, bigger picture tournament-wise, even if you score a try and lose the game, you're coming away from there with two points rather than one. I mean, one is decent, but yeah. also like, an extra we, point. I suppose we have huge. the advantage of weighing it all up with a bit of time and, and, and not in the uh, heat totally, of it and yeah. not... like I wonder if they even think bonus points. You know, you're so flustered. <laughs> Go on, Birch. Murray, I could hear, I could hear the points, 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 but I couldn't work out who was who was shouting it. Did do you know who who was saying this? Uh, it it looks like it was one of the the medical team or the physios maybe who was on that left touchline um, and is trying to communicate in. So presumably he's mic'd up to the head coach. 
It's an interesting one, though. It is an interesting one. I'd love to hear their honest debate. I'd love to hear Johnny Sexton tell us what he really thought. I'd be almost certain that behind closed doors, they're going, fuck's sake. You know what I mean? And it's as simple as that. Like, as you say, Murray, it's after 75 plus minutes of the most intense game you'll probably ever play or up there in your career. You're absolutely blowing out your arse. You have a couple of seconds to make the call. I think they got it wrong. I, I don't know. Well, I suppose, look, if it's coming from off the pitch, it's a little bit yeah. different, but it's a yeah. decision. They I also don't fully agree Move with... On. Life moves on. Sorry, there's no drama getting it wrong. It's just, um, no. what, will they do? what will they do the next time? That's that's all. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it, mistakes happen. There's, there's missed tackles. There's balls dropped. Um, it's not a big deal, but it's just interesting in terms of mindset and in terms of game management, what, they, what, what they'll do next time. That's all. 100%. Murray and Owen Toulon spoke to... 42 members on Monday uh, about the whole weekend. If you want to get extra analysis, it's members.the42.e. You can tune in to hear their thoughts on last weekend. We're going to move on and look to the future now a little bit after that report in the UK Daily Mail that I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, The idea being, or the report stating that South Africa are set to join the Six Nations from 2025, uh, likely in place of Italy, this broke kind of late last night, so we haven't had a chance really to even discuss it among ourselves, lads. So, Murray, what are your initial thoughts on that prospect? Yeah, Gav, go, uh, caused me a bit of a sleepless night, I suppose, worrying about Italian rugby and, and being on the outside. Listen, if South Africa joined in place of Italy, it would instantly make the Six Nations far more riveting and far more lucrative, which is the key point here. CBC are reportedly the ones massively behind this. We know that they're in rugby for... <clears throat> as quick a financial gain as they can possibly make. And this is absolutely one way to ensure so because you get that South African market in, instantly every single game is bigger. There's the fascination from around the rest of the world and you're going to make more money. However, what is the long-term damage to rugby? And we've spoken about it several times in podcasts about growing the game, broadening the horizons, having more nations who are competitive and actually in the mix, rather than this closed shop of all the traditional old boys that just has no broader appeal. And this would be a way of doubling down on that reality in rugby. I think it would be really damaging. And I just hope that Italy or another European nation are part of the plan moving forward. As far as I can remember, the CVC deal was for five years up until 2026. So I'm not sure how Italy are going to go along with this. Um and you'd, I, I don't know, you'd wonder about the other six nations uh, inviting in a really strong team who's going to upset the apple card and the, the pecking order that way. Obviously, they're all concerned with making more money given the, the losses in the game over the last two years. The other concern I'd have is around the rugby championship. Like, without the box, what is that? Like, the rivalry between them and the, the All Blacks is part of the fascination of, of that product. And I think they'd be in real trouble without the box down that neck of the woods. So while it definitely would be a better Six Nations in terms of competition and um, quality with the the box in there, I have definite concerns around the rest of it. Birch, can I go off on one here and see if my thoughts tally with yours and and with Murray's? So firstly, kill the professional game in Italy. Done. Like gonzo at that point. You can talk about contingency plans and secondary tournaments and all of that all you want. But ultimately, like... You, you are you are pointing the gun at them. I don't know what the last 20 years has been about at that point. I, I really just don't don't get it. I think, as Murray says, 
it adds something to the Six Nations, but it's fixing a problem in the Six Nations that doesn't exist in my mind. I know Italy can be seen as the problem child, but the existing product is brilliant. We all absolutely love it. South Africa would make it better, and obviously there are finances involved, but I just don't think it's something that anybody is crying out for. Kills the rugby championship, as Murray says. That becomes like a Leinster championship. No point in it. I think it takes away a lot of prestige from the World Cup because all of a sudden it's just about whether any of the new Six Nations can beat New Zealand, at least for probably the next one and maybe the one after that. So rugby just makes a deal with the devil. I understand completely the financial constraints that the sport finds itself in or, or, or that kind of a situation, but ultimately feels like short-term thinking and really damaging, as Murray says. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. But I think the problem now is is that the private equity guys are going to look to uh, maximize their return on investment. And I think concerns that you've just flagged there will be pushed to the to the back. And and, w- and what the other nations will do is, if the deal is good enough, the other nations will, will say, right, financially, to grow the game in our own countries, we'll drive that money into player development, etc. And, and uh, I, I think... Italy are on very dodgy grounds at the moment, um, and it, it's very worrying. It, like it feels like it's it's happening. You know, these reports aren't completely new, Gav. We we've been discussing this for a while. The URC teams are in; they're going in the European competitions club wise next season. They've already essentially made the move. It's just a case of what format it comes in. The other interesting thing that's happening at the moment is the the nations championship thing is back on the table and there's new meetings about that next month with World Rugby. It sounds like the Six Nations sides are now on board with that. Our unions, rather, are on board with that. And that's going to be every two years um, around World Cups and, and and Lions. And listen, absolutely, there needs to be a development of things. And I think we're probably all getting to the point where we go, the November test just being no- friendlies is probably more of a reality now you know there needs to be more of a competitive layer to that but i just hope that it's not just a closed shop the big boys get more cash and moving further away from the other nations who've shown signs of maybe developing and maybe becoming forces because at the moment it's a it's a tiny sport and it's lucrative for very few um and i just hope that someone is pushing the message of actually growing the game while all this is going on you describing the november tests as friendlies means we've just added an extra ten thousand listeners from soccer so uh, thanks a million murray let's <laughs> talk about your c i've no doubt we're going to chat about the future of the six nations again maybe when that feels a little bit more real uh it will rear its head looking ahead to the weekend lads uh monster are at home to edinburgh on the back of course of a defeat in glasgow i don't know did either of you get a chance to see that game i actually presume that you both watched it in retrospect um we only have about five minutes murray but like is there a point of being overly critical of monster's performance sloppy as it was when you consider it is a makeshift team and i don't mean to demean any of the individual players in that team but just that like it's not a team that's going to be playing together week in week out i think a lack of cohesion is kind of expected but maybe they were unacceptably untidy i don't know Uh, Yeah, really shitty conditions and, as you say, lack of cohesion. It's kind of been an issue for Munster, though, and even the Zebra game away where they actually won and got what they needed. They weren't happy with their performance. Stephen Larkin was honest about it this week, and that was good to hear. There was no burying of the head. They they said it's not good enough and they've got to improve. They probably should have drawn that game 
last weekend and it would have been a, a good result. It's not a complete disaster to lose away against one of the other competitive teams in the URC, but I don't think the performances in those away fixtures have been what Munster set for themselves in terms of standards. So absolutely, we need to see a lot better this weekend without getting carried away, in my opinion, about last weekend. Bert, you were nodding along. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, further it's, thoughts? It's, like the performance away to Ospreys um, was was pretty average as well in, in the URC. So you'd expect a bit of a backlash. I Edinburgh... Are, Edinburgh have a lot more depth than they used to have. I know they they probably um, disappointed a little bit about against Leinster in the RDS, but um, big policy or, or strategy from Scottish rugby was to invest in Glasgow and Edinburgh so that they had depth um, and they have a lot of non-Scottish qualified players who can come in now during the Six Nations. So I think it'll be a decent test for them on on, um, on Friday night in Tom Park and. Yeah, they expect a, a big response. Uh, and they probably need to now. If they drop points this weekend, they'll start to get a little bit worried around um, their finishing position. So a little bit of pressure on guys who who maybe aren't used to it. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they stand up to it. Call it for us there quickly. Yeah, look, you have to fancy, uh, fancy Munster. Yeah, I think Munster will win. Leinster at home to Ospreys. How do you see that one going, Murray? Yeah, again, I, t- I see Leinster win for sure in, in that game. I thought they were pretty clinical when they got within range last weekend against Edinburgh their try line defence was remarkable at some stages it was a real level of physicality in the performance and a real focus there as well I actually really enjoyed watching Ross Byrne and Harry Byrne playing 10-12 together unfortunately Kieran Frawley with another injury he's been just so desperately unlucky but uh, the two of those 10s on the pitch together was a really nice blend and uh, I thought Harry Byrne had, had won his better games for, for a while at 12 and, and added a lovely bit of spark there as well so yeah, I'd imagine Leinster with a similar-ish enough team there. Lots of people out to prove points and you can't see past the home win there. Leinster win, Birch, yeah? Yeah, I agree. Leinster, Leinster should win that. Um, although the Ospreys have a have a very pragmatic game plan that, that can ask questions. Obviously, um, uh, Rock, um, Rock James is, is, is and Toby Boot have put together a, a decent a decent setup. Obviously, Brock, Brock James is going home at the end of the season, which is a, a bit of a blow for Ospreys. But look at Leinster... Yeah, I, I think Leinster's just... I did a piece, because I'm doing that match uh, Saturday for RT. Uh, their, their ability to stop teams five yards out and then their ability to score five yards out is is what makes a difference for them in this URC when everything else is equal. And um, I, I can see that being a, a key factor in, 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 in probably helping them get a win. Can Connacht get the job done in Clinetley, Murray? This is the biggest, I suppose, question mark of the weekend. They kind of have to, don't they? They have to re-inject this season with some confidence and give people confidence that they can get chugging back in the right direction obviously the European travails were really hard against good teams but since then it hasn't been good enough that Glasgow game in particular at home where Andy Friend was unbelievably despondent afterwards and and rightly so it's a tough old part of the season for them I do think there's enough quality there I thought Tom Daly was good when he made his comeback and that's a positive for them but they really need a result here Birch, will they get it? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it's a massive game for them. They'll find themselves detached very quickly. Um, had, had a good few injuries. That Glasgow game would have marked them mentally as well. So, But I've had a couple of weeks to build up for it. But I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing how they respond um, and, and how they can play. Scarlets aren't aren't at their best at the moment. There's a bit of transition there. So it's definitely a winnable away game, but they're going to have to be very good to, to, to get the four points. And finally, top of the table, Ulster 
travel to Rodney Parade to face 15th placed Dragons, I think. And it should be a really uh, straightforward task for Ulster, or, or at least it is on paper. And yet it's been a tough place to go for the provinces so far this season, Murray. So how do you see that one going? Yeah, I see them winning. Nice to see a couple of guys come off their injury list as well. Jordy Murphy back in the mix. Cormac Azuchuku, who was really exciting, I thought, before his knee injury. So hopefully we see a couple of them involved. And yeah, this is a shot that the Ulster squad absolutely have to take. I'll be shocked if they don't take Bert. it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Dragons obviously boosted by the announcement of JJ this week, uh, signing on a three-year contract, but they've really struggled. I watched them against Benetton. Uh, Benetton were missing a lot of players, and um, they got a draw in the end. Benetton missed a last-minute kick, but they're really low in confidence, and Ulster will be very disappointed. The pitch actually is in good nick. They've relayed it, so there's no reason not to go and play, and um, you'd, you'd fancy Ulster to maybe get five points. Thank you as always, man. Cheers. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you to everybody at home as well for tuning in. Enjoy the URC over the weekend. We will be back on Monday for members and next Thursday for non-members. Uh, that's about it. Mind yourselves in the meantime. Take it easy. Of a nose, it's more of a corrugated dust sucking hose. But if you want a spotless carpet, stronger cleaners are on the market. Mike Dyson Dustbuster Douglas of Van Hoover Field on Electrolux Lewis. I couldn't give a toss, I'm Henry Hoover. Spin me around, I'm quite so Force my nose in your dirty little carpet. I couldn't give a toss, it's quite pathetic. <laughs> <laughs>